Hello? Have you guys noticed how this podcast started as a limited series and now it just keeps coming back with new episodes? Wait, does that mean we're part of a franchise now? Well, that is the way most things tend to go nowadays. If that's true, then the Hello Sydney IP is bigger than we are. That means any of us could be expendable. Mike, is that a threat? Are you are you planning on replacing one of us? Don't look at me. I would never be so ruthless. Anna, on the other hand... Excuse me? Are you accusing me of being a ruthless killer? Well, you have described yourself as the Gail Weathers of this podcast, Anna. Uh, you're the one who called us expendable. Okay, for all I know, you two could be working together. If anyone's working together as a pair, it's you two. Didn't I overhear you guys making dinner plans without me? Guys, this is ridiculous. Nothing is going to happen to us. Our jobs are safe. We've all done this podcast since the very beginning. She's right. We're legacy podcast hosts. Legacy characters are always safe, right? Oh, one sec. Oh, uh, can I help you? Hello, Sydney. Remember me? Welcome to Hello, Sydney, a limited podcast series supported by Paramount that cuts deep into one of the most iconic horror franchises. I'm Anna Bogutska, a writer and broadcaster, and I'm joined by my co-host, journalist and broadcaster Louise Blaine. Hello. And producer and podcaster Mike Munzer. Hello. Last week, we cast our predictions for Scream 6, and now all three of us have seen the film and we're ready to dive deep into it. I'm so excited. Let's begin our discussion of Scream 6. You got a problem here, guy? So, for listeners, a word of warning, the first part of our conversation will be entirely spoiler-free. We'll talk about our first impressions of Scream 6, but we won't go anything that could be considered spoilerific. You'll also hear some of my conversations with the cast and the directors of Scream 6, and those interviews are also spoiler-free, so you can enjoy them before you've seen the film. But after that... It'll be all spoilers. All bets are off. All the time. <laughs> so I guess the first question I have to ask you guys, because we all, we saw it separately. I saw it a full 24 hours ahead of you and kept my mouth shut like a good girl. You We're did so, good. so well. You we, thank you very much. We finished recording our predictions episode last week and then you had to head straight to the screening, didn't you? And you saw it immediately. Louise and I saw it 24 hours after you. And yeah, you were very good not to give away anything. Thank you very much. I'm here for the praise. <laughs> <laughs> what were your first impressions of Scream 6? I had an absolute blast with it. Last year, I think I felt like that was the only movie that Scream 5 could have been. And it had a lot to do. It had a lot of work to do. It had a lot of characters to introduce. It had a lot of heavy lifting to do and to reintroduce the franchise with a whole new theme. Scream 6 didn't really have to do that. We had our set of characters. We took them to a new location, but then it just had an absolute blast with it. I will say I was, I mean, happily surprised by just how gory it is. Yes. It is yes. brutal, guys. Yeah, I loved it too. I think I enjoyed it more than Scream 5 last year. And I and I had a great time with Scream 5. For and sure. like you said, Louise, just to echo everything you said, you know, Scream 5 was exactly what it needed to be for us fans. It brought us back into the world, a kind of safe Force Awakens-esque, safe return to the franchise that you love, giving you a lot of nostalgic beats. We were back in Woodsboro. We had an opening scene that kind of mirrored Drew Barrymore's scene. We had a, a final act in Stu's Kitchen that kind of, you know, uh, mirrored the final act of Scream 1. And it was all very safe and fun. 
this movie got to kind of chuck out the rule book a little bit right and have some fun we're in a new setting new characters and it's scary and it's brutal and i would say that for me it's maybe the most scary scream film since scream 2 maybe um which i really really loved so i had a great time I had a great time too. And I, my expectations were kind of high because we'd hyped ourselves up so <laughs> much. a frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm here for a good time. I need to find a perfect seat in this room. I need to be here with my little notebook. I'm here for it. I had a great time. I was surprised that there was not as much humor as in Scream 5. There was double the tension. So I don't find it uh, scary per se, but I I was incredibly tense. I found myself leaning into forward in my seat a few times. I genuinely was looking at everyone with suspicion. I kept trying to solve the mystery in my head and I was thinking about everything that we had just discussed. And it was, to echo what Louise was saying, quite graphic very gory I think much more violent than Scream 5 and because of the returning characters as well I had so much more compassion for them like I really felt for them because the the labor of having to introduce them and get us to care in one movie was already done so now we could just spend more time with them and actually root for them to survive it was a real that real sense of peril yes Yes. you know I, I was actually gripping I think Mike maybe you noticed at one point I was literally I had my hands up and I was kind of gripping the air because there was sort of <laughs> relentlessness which we saw from the trailer and I really hoped would go into the movie itself and boy did it go into the movie I mean it was just it felt unstoppable at certain points yes. Ghostface felt like a genuine threat mm-hmm. and especially as you're saying for those characters we actually we cared we this, actually care this is what the screen films get right over and over again that so many other slasher franchises get wrong and you're absolutely right like in this film I wasn't expecting to care as much about these main characters as I did and yeah Scream 5 did a good job of introducing them but this film made me actually really care about them and uh, that is just what adds to the peril to the tension and this movie had that in spades because you care about who's going to live and who's going to die and also you don't trust the film enough to know whether they're going to live or die right I mean we'll go through our predictions later but obviously last week we predicted that so many people might die you know Mm -hmm. and so I was on the edge of my seat throughout this whole film um, not knowing who was going to survive yeah yeah and I was wondering what did you guys make of the big move to New York City because we did sort of we were trepidatious about it last episode because usually it doesn't signal anything good for a horror franchise to move to outside of their their usual location and especially when they go to Manhattan so how did New York work for Scream? I thought it worked really well it was kind of what we expected actually in that it wasn't like the series had jumped the shark or had gone really silly. It was more that it was showing the peril of what could happen when a killer is hiding in plain sight, I think. Um, you know, this feeling that being in a city like New York can be quite a cold, dangerous environment in that something could be happening on the middle of a subway train, for example, as the, tri- the teaser suggests, or in the middle of a kind of a shop, a bodega or whatever, um, that, you know, things could happen in public and you still wouldn't be safe and that nobody would care, potentially. And, and so I think the New York setting did a good job of bringing about that a different kind of peril to the type that you get if you're on your own in a house in the middle of the woods do you know what I mean it's the nobody would care thing that really came through for me Mm -hmm. because we we do see hints of this in the trailer for Scream 6 already but using all of these uh, you know these very heavily populated settings like the New York subway system um, and just being surrounded by people at all times that not being equivalent to being safe 
is really chilling. And especially, you know, considering that we, you know, we live in, well, Louise, you live in Glasgow, still a big city. We have a tiny subway. Yeah, you have a very efficient subway. Um, and me living in in London, and Mike, you've now moved out of London, but mm. you know exactly what it's like. Like yeah. the sense of dread that can exist even when you're surrounded by people, surrounded by cameras who are watching you, surrounded by you know uh, figures of authority as well. Supposedly that would make you feel a lot safer, but it's still really managed to instill that sense of if someone wants to hurt you, they still can, and actually not not a single soul would try to help you. It reminds me a lot of one of my favourite scenes in the franchise, which is Scream 2 opening scene, where you've got Jada Pinkett Smith being stabbed to death in the middle of a busy cinema, and no one is there to help her, no one is saving her, people are cheering, people think it's a joke and it's a, it's quite a chilling scene and there's there's there are some other scenes like that in Scream 2, like where they think they're safe in the back of a cop car, and then it turns out they're not and this movie had that same sense of peril, I think, it had that same kind of vibe, and I, I love that vibe you know there's something very scary about it i also think for the first time that exact vibe left the cinema with me now i've not normally felt you know i watch a screen movie and then i i am finished with the screen movie and i'm happy about watching a screen movie straight after we saw it i got onto the tube and a man with a hood up turned very slowly towards me (laughs) (laughs) and i genuinely i had the sense of Oh, oh! I'm in a busy city, and and I think that's the first time that the you know in six movies that I have ever felt at all unsafe. Because mm. normally it's something it's a ghost story movie or a folk yeah. horror movie that will instill that sense of dread. A scream movie managed to follow me out of the cinema and into the tube train, and even then I got onto the tube and I was texting you guys because I desperately got onto the Wi-Fi, <laughs> and because there was a, there was a category something at zone six, and I'm going, what does that mean? Yeah, what does <laughs> Is that, that mean? Bad? Is that the, because and I I think. Anytime something can instill that sense of dread and relentlessness, and even after has it technically been put to bed, it's still not put to bed. A city cannot be, it cannot sleep. You know, it's not, the, the entire idea of that setting means that fear is just not going anywhere. And I really felt that this time. Um, what do you think of the the directors, you know, Matt Bettinelli, Alpin and Tyler Gillett in this movie? You know, they're back, they did Scream 5. We've talked about what a genius Wes Craven was and how he how effectively he directed parts one to four. What do you think of these two and the job they did directing this movie? Well, I think one of the one of the biggest things, the one of the biggest differences I've noticed from Scream Five to Scream Six is the size of the set pieces. Yeah, and they mentioned this as well when uh, I spoke to them briefly. It's that there's a bigger playground. So one of the other things that New York offers the film and them as well is a larger larger playground and that means more ambitious, more violent set pieces. You know, it's very different chasing someone around the house, which is something we've seen a lot, than chasing someone or or stabbing someone or even trying to in a busy heaving New York subway or trying to do that in a kind of a giant layer like the one we were seeing in, um, in the trailer or even like a a glitzy rich apartment on the Upper East Side. So like just all of these different scenarios, you know, a dorm room, a subway, a rich apartment, an underground layer, police stations. There's just so much more to play around with that's not just the familiar streets mm. or the familiar one or two houses. So I think Scream 5 was playing a lot into the images of Woodsboro as a location and those familiar houses, even those living 
living rooms being kind of recycled and updated for a newer generation. And here, suddenly, you literally don't know which way to look because there's something happening in every corner of the frame. And we felt quite at home in Woodsboro by the end of it because we were going literally back to the same house at the end of Scream 5. We know that every 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 room has one door, but then there's inexplicably, maybe Americans can explain, there's another door leaving that same room. <laughs> you know? But that's not that's not the case in these, you know, there's an open plan area, but then there are very enclosed apartments, mm-hmm. you know, and playing with that verticality. So yeah, yes. it's, uh, there's a claustrophobia to such a big space. I think that's what's really clever about it, isn't it? Is that there, there is, they managed to pull off a, a sense of claustrophobia and a kind of agoraphobia almost, you know, like, you know, playing with like giant public spaces and and tiny apartments or packed little subway trains and yeah you're right you know as opposed to the big spacious gorgeous houses of Woodsboro in the middle of nowhere he they got to have a lot of fun with different types of geography in this movie different types of set pieces big and small um yeah you just felt like they they as directors they must have had so much fun i think and it's got that scream that nerdy scream thing as well these two directors are very good at dropping in references to other horror movies either visual nods or script nods other horror movies or other scream movies you know there are constantly little easter eggs that nerds like us can spot and celebrate right there's so many i mean obviously the most obvious one that we uh spoke a little bit about in the previous episode is Samara Weaving, a, a living, breathing Easter egg, because obviously Matt and Tyler had directed her in Ready or Not. So this is a reunion of sorts. And there is a, a little a bride, someone <laughs> dressed up as the bride in Ready or Not in the subway scene too. Can I just say as well, you know, we won't talk about Samara Weaving's role in this film yet till later, but what an actress. Like, I just want to see her in more films. I think she's so Honestly. brilliant. She's She's got amazing comic timing. She's brilliant dramatically. Like, I, th- I think she's she needs to be a bigger deal than mm-hmm. she is, you know. Yeah. And you know, we've mentioned how we've all sort of felt more for the the returning characters, who you know, the core for Tara, Sam, Mindy, and Chad. So, how do you think their dynamic has changed from one movie to another? I think they've just fallen into a they've fallen into a groove which is nice. They have fallen into a friendship group. And I think that's what we do with them when we watch them last time. And it's what we do more with them this time because we see them spending time together. It's very effortlessly handled, shall we say, their move. And I think they even they even talk about their own relationships, which I think then cements our relationship with them because it's not a spoiler to say they're like, we're friends. You know, they, they are, there's a closeness there. So I think it actually deftly, deftly handles the trip into a, into a sequel without it feeling... You see enough niceness, I think, between them to to still relate. um, Yeah, I think like what is lovely, again, it's it's something we've talked about a lot about the screen movies, is that rather than the killer being the only through line, our main characters are the through line in this franchise. And we already have a sense of history between these four. And we've only seen them in one movie, but there is that real sense of closeness and history. They've been through something together, all of them. And you feel that connection. You know, obviously, as we know, Nev Campbell wasn't coming back for this one. David Arquette isn't around. So we don't have that same returning group of, of characters in the same way. But these four provide that, that that idea of closeness, of a shared history, almost nostalgia, even though that film was only a year ago. But I think you really feel that between them in this movie, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, nothing bonds you as much as survival. Surviving a, a massacre. <laughs> They're all pincushions together, that, that <laughs> lot, aren't they? That's the thing. And, yeah. and we get bonus pincushion Kirby from 10 years ago. Yeah. The big returning legacy character. The final girl, well, 
the secret final girl from Scream 4, Kirby Reed, returns here. Yeah, who and we won't let's not say too much about I don't Kirby. think we can. There's a question mark hanging over her mm-hmm. role in this, right? But I, all I will just say is what a joy to see Hayden Panettiere back on screen. Kirby, a fan favorite character. It's awesome. Like it didn't disappoint me um seeing her. I I was like I loved every moment that she was on screen. Yeah, I've been absolutely beamed when yeah. she was like, "Oh, there she is. Brilliant. Done. Tick. This movie's for me." Done. A lot apparently a lot of people didn't like Kirby's hair in Scream 4 the kind of like short cool I thought she looked amazing she looked amazing in that movie she looked amazing then she looks amazing now absolutely she does people need to simmer down about people's hairs I had no idea there was such an issue with Kirby's hair sexy leather jacket yeah Yeah, she was like the sexiest nerd ever she was was awesome yeah exactly anyway she's just as brilliant just as cool just as hot in this movie love her she's great and she she clearly loves the franchise so much that really really came across and you you can hear her tell us about that in the interview I did with her. I love that because I love the fact that you know Scream fans are so vocal and people have been talking about how much they love Kirby since Scream 4 in 2011 right so Hayden Panettiere must I guess know that right and, and really feel that love from the fans. Is there anything else we can talk about before we go into spoiler territory? Shall we? I know this is always a difficult thing to do, but where would it rank for you among the screams? How would you rank your scream films? Oh no. Oh dear. (laughs) Okay. Shall I start? Because I think I've, I think I know where I'm putting this right now. Now, the problem is, is that I'm such a fan of this franchise that I come out of every scream going, I love it. It's one of my favorites. But this is where I'm currently, (laughs) this is where I'm currently at, right? I would say, obviously, Scream from 1996, favorite. Scream 2, from 1997 is second favourite. I think I would put this movie next. I think I would go third favourite Scream 6. Just beneath it, Scream 4, because I love Emma Roberts. Mm. Just just beneath that, these are all really close in the middle, Scream 5 from last year. And then a little bit more of a gap and Scream 3 (laughs) at the bottom. So I think I would go 1, 2, 6, 4, 5, 3. I think that's how I would go. What about you guys? I have exactly the same ranking. <gasps> oh, hey, okay. there you it's go. Like exactly the same ranking. Excellent. I have a different right. one. Good. We're on the same page. Go on, Anna. <laughs> so obviously, number one, one, two, yeah, and this undisputed, yeah. Then four, yeah, because I love I love OG Kirby. I yeah. love Emma Roberts. Um, then six, yeah, and then five and then a long time after that but not as much as you mike yeah number three yeah i think that's yeah, yeah. yeah. so you've got the kevin williamson wes craven trilogy at the top one yes, two and four yeah yeah i yeah. think that's fair for me four five and six they're all so close together like mm-hmm. i kind of really enjoy all of them you know they're yeah. jostling for position they've yeah. got you know someone <laughs> tossing obstacles in front of them while they all run in a race <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> But yeah, maybe that's all we should say for now, spoiler free. I think that's it. I mean, anyone who's even remotely interested in a Scream movie, so obviously you are because you're listening to this, Scream 6 is out in cinemas in the UK from Friday the 10th of March. And we can't encourage you highly enough to go see it in the cinema. Yes. Mm -hmm. What a fun movie to see with a crowd. Definitely see it in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see it. I now want to see it in 3D and 4DX. <laughs> I am willing to sit and be stabbed I in see my it in seat. I want 4DX yeah. after all your after all your talk of being stabbed while you're watching people <laughs> get stabbed. You know, yeah, there's a lot of stabbing, so I want that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it will also rumble when the subway rumbles. <laughs> 
Um, cool. So should we have a little listen to Anna's interview? You got to go and chat to some of the cast and, and directors, right? So I got to chat to a lot of the cast and of the of the movie. I got to chat to Jenna Ortega, Melissa Barrera, who are returning cast members. Got to talk to new to Hayden Panettiere and Dermot Mulroney, who's a new addition to the cast. And as well to the directors, Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett as well about returning to helm another screen movie and as a reminder all these interviews are spoiler free so you can listen to them before you watch scream six A big hello to our returning cast members, Melissa Barreira and Jenna Ortega, and to new cast member Dermot Mulroney and legacy character Hayden Panettiere. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi. Um, so, Hayden, I wanted to start with you. What was it like for you to return to the world of Scream? Oh, it was it was everything and more. I aside from from the COVID factor of it, but um, but I loved it. Was the same family, the same same camaraderies, same um, feelings on, on set, everybody having each other's back, laughter and and joy and just, just everyone getting yeah. along. I mean, yeah. there was just not a moment that wasn't, wasn't fun. Melissa, did you feel more or less pressure this time around returning to the world of Scream? If it was possible to feel more pressure, I think more pressure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what about yourself, Jenna? Oh, definitely. I think um, to be a part of this franchise, one, is kind of scary and intimidating at first, but then to be back again and also, um, almost get murdered again yeah. or do the murdering, is it's pretty intense. And so, Dermot, you're a newcomer to the yeah. world. What has been your relationship with the Scream movies until now? Uh, well, I remember watching Scream 1 in the theater. So some of the cast members weren't even alive yet, right? Um, <laughs> could that be? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but I've always remembered it because I feel like it really, it just changed the dial somehow where movies are making fun of themselves. Um, but even... Practically speaking, it being a studio horror movie with comedy elements there originally, um, it really brought horror back to the mainstream cinema in a lot of ways, if you track it that way. So for me to arrive at the end of that formula and join a successful franchise is like amazing. But one of the coolest parts is it's one of the first times other than where you visit a television show where the actors already all know each other and are friends. So I was joining a group that was already established um, and uh, was welcomed with open arms. We had so much crazy amount of fun. Yes. Um, as you hope, uh, because the one of the richest parts of the Scream franchise, of course, is the humor. Um, so yeah. that's part of our assignment, too. And we really... Because the rest of it's so horrifying, we definitely embraced that yes. part of it in the making of the movie. And I'm always curious because the, the productions of Scream have always been kind of notoriously really sensitive about spoilers um, and kind of really protective of, of where the story goes. Um, how much did you know or not know about what was happening in the film? I mean, I, they, I they just like they withheld were... the third act from us, right? Yeah. I feel like they were less... Um, sneaky about it this time around than they were the last one. I don't know if it's because we've ins there's been instilled trust. Yeah. Or, but yeah, they just kept the third act from us for a really long time. 
There were different in, versions too. Well, and I think they kind of yes. They wanted and they and they wanted to keep. So they were even everyone. trying to trick us. They were. Yeah, they were trying to trick. Uh, that's us. how diabolical the <laughs> producers actually are. They don't even want the actors to know. I'm exaggerating, but they did certainly no, present it <laughs> under a cloud of mystery. So the story points have always lived in that space. Uh, what I've caught up to joining this now is how fun the chase of that is. Um, and how that's part of uh, the run up to this movie. So it, it's been a hoot. All of the theory, the different theories people have uh, about the who done it. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. If you see one of these other murder mystery movies, you don't already know all the characters. Here, you're already worried because you know them already. I mean, yeah. that's perfect segue. Thank you for that, Dermot, for my next question, which is, you know, Kirby especially returning. She's such a beloved character such a fan favorite from scream four um did you ever dive into conspiracy theories about your own character no i stopped doing conspiracy theories at uh heroes (laughs) you've been doing this a long time yeah yeah it's like the conspiracy theories are endless um Mm -hmm. so i i love just to live with no expectations expectation Mm -hmm. leads to disappointment (laughs) <laughs> and we don't like that. So I just, I, I, I'm mystified by all of it. And Melissa, can I ask you, did you ever uh, dive into some of the online conspiracy theories about your character? I don't go online. Smart. I've learned that, that I shouldn't do that if I want to be able to sleep at night. And sometimes I'll be like, wow, these fans got their hands on the script or something because they know every single detail, like exactly. And I'm just like trying, I'm just trying not to engage to not give anything away. Hayden, what's been your experience with Scream fans, considering how much love Kirby got from her first appearance in Scream 4? Oh my gosh, the fact that that they supported me, so, me coming back so much. I, as, I love them as much as they love Kirby. And yeah. um and uh, they're the reason why I made the call and said, excuse me, can I come back, please? <laughs> oh, did you actually request to come back to the franchise? I I made the call and, and I was like, by the way, still here, still I potentially alive. <laughs> so please, <laughs> if there's a chance of bringing me back, like I want to come back. And my fans. Does that fans mean that too. you were that you are, after all, a last girl? Of course, from Scream Four, but you didn't even know. <laughs> but it. I didn't. I didn't know. So she even was mystified. Didn't know she's whether secret you were final girl. Final girl. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's like a double final right? <laughs> with the twist. Double final with the twist. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna, what do you think is different about this big city ghost face compared to previous ones we've seen? I think. Because it's in public or because it's such a big city, um, you would assume that more people would help or be involved or it'd be, you know, Ghostface would be less successful in attacking people in broad daylight. But I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like nobody cares uh, what's going on. I feel like it's very easy for your screams to be lost in the crowd. And um, yeah, this Ghostface is just a lot more spontaneous and um, uh, a lot more audacious. And he doesn't give a, like, I think this is the first movie where Ghostface is just killing people. Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, targeted towards, like, the characters. It's just like, oh, you were in the way. 
you're dead. And like, <laughs> I feel like that's the first. And as a final question, you know, we see this incredible shrine to ghost face killers of the previous uh, films in, in Scream 6. What's your own personal uh, favorite ghost face killer? I still love Skeet. Yeah. Skeet Ulrich, the original. I know. Well, and it's also um, Matthew Lillard. Oh, Matt, the two Matthew Lillard. Yes. That scene Matt where he hits him with the phone. I don't know. I just really yeah. like, oh, my ear and all that. Yes. Had to hit and then I'm Emma. I, I adore Emma and Rory. Um, Emma Roberts and Rory Culkin, yeah. who I, I've known both of them since we were we were younger but Rory since he was we were really little used to have play dates and sleepovers and stuff and so I have a a bond a great bond with both of them and they they sounds like a scary sleepover yeah considering you're not supposed (laughs) to have sleepovers in the horror world yeah yeah well you're lucky you sometimes you're stabbed by your best friends (laughs) (laughs) thank you all so much for your time i had a really stressful time with the movie (laughs) wonderful to you I'm now joined by the directors of Scream 6, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett. Hi, guys. Great to meet you. So first of all, I wanted to ask you about reuniting with Samara Weaving for this installment. Can you tell me a little bit about bringing her back? We could talk forever about about Samara. Um, It was such a joy. It was, was, uh, uh, I mean, it it was everything that we sort of hoped it would be. I know we've been trying to get Samara, work with her again since Ready or Not, and um, it was so fun to have her come out and play on this one. Yeah. It just felt like uh, it felt like old friends. It was it was so funny when you have a process and you take a break from it. It was like we just fell right back into right back into that same rhythm. And we just love her so dearly. And pretty sure the role was written with her in mind. Mm-hmm. And so the phone call and she was like, I'm out. I'm on my way. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> And and I wanted to to address the fact that this is it's a big move for the film to be set in New York City instead of Woodsboro. So I was wondering why did you decide it was time to leave Woodsboro behind? There's this desire to reinvent and sort of outdo outdo yourself, right? With with every movie, and I think that that was just the the most fun way for them to for for them to achieve that. Like right off the bat, change the setting and then kind of everything that you think and know about the movie sort of goes out the window or has to be re- adjusted to that new location. And we were just so excited by that idea. And for yourselves as directors, was there anything that you didn't get to do on last year's Scream that you managed to get away with this time around? Big set pieces. Yes. Yeah. Big set, big chases, with yeah. lots of lots of layers and and you gears. know gears and obstacles. And I wanted to ask as well. Every screen movie has always addressed something that's been going on that's in the ether with film culture. Uh, last year's was obviously requels. And what do you think Scream Six is tackling? I mean, you know, part of it's obviously franchises, like online communities, and how yeah. sort of toxic mm-hmm. and scary they can be. Um, the rumor mill of that of yeah. that space. And that actually brings me on to my last question. I've had a ton of fun diving into the conspiracy theories before I actually watched the film. And I wanted to ask you, do you ever look them up yourself? So do you really stay away? No, We're, we, 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 we look at them. We sort of have to. It feels like to, to be a part of something that is so meta and is reaching through the screen and, and you know, having a direct conversation with the audience, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't aware of what those conversations were in, the, in that space. Thank you both so much and congratulations on the film. Thank you. 
Anna, Louise, is it time to get into spoilers? I'm genuinely nervous. I'm quite nervous. And I'm just going to... We've we've warned people a lot, but we'll warn them one more time. From this point onwards, we will spoil everything about Scream 6. The killers, who lives, who dies, motives, favourite set pieces, everything. So be warned. Spoilers begin here. Guys, where should we start? Should we should we talk about how right and wrong our predictions were? Yes, yes. please. <laughs> because we were extremely right and extremely wrong. So wrong. Simultaneously. <laughs> so true. You're right. There were some things, and me and Louise were sat next to each other where we kind of glanced at each other being like, yes, we knew it. And then other yes. things took me completely by surprise, which is exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what I needed. So what would you say is the biggest surprise that you did not expect? I loved that opening scene. Yes. That opening <gasps> scene was yes. genuinely just a delight because it, it kept going. The uh, Obviously, Samara was brilliant. We saw Ghostface Killer, and then he just pulled the mask off, which is something we've never, never seen. seen. Yeah, ever. And yeah. It, it felt like a oh, we're something new. This, yes. and then you followed him, and it turned out it was friends with Tara, and I was literally going, "This is amazing. Is this how it's going to stay? Yeah. Are we going to follow the killer throughout uh-huh. the whole movie? Yeah. And then he gets killed as well. Yep. So good. I loved everything about it. So just to just to point out. One of our predictions was who will be the opening scene kill. Me and Louise predicted Samara Weaving. Mm-hmm. Tick, Anna, you did not cross in your box. <laughs> you, you predicted it would be the subway, um, but we'll get to that later. But yes, Samara Weaving, incredible. Loved that. Op- I loved that it was like a, it was like two opening scenes in one. Like you mm-hmm. said, such a clever thing. But even just that banter between Samara Weaving and her potential date in the restaurant was so much fun. I loved that. A I lo- film studies professor. <sighs> It was so good. And it was just, and it pulled off straight away for me that perfect balance of humour and horror that I love about Scream. She was so funny. It was sweet. I genuinely already didn't want her to die, although I knew she clearly was about to, right? The minute we saw her, it was like, oh no. Oh no, (laughs) no. Samara. Um, But it's it's a great moment, isn't it? Getting stabbed in a public alley in the middle of the night, no one noticing. Going to our earlier point in a pre spoiler section, she literally gets stabbed in one of those alleys where there's tons of people walking on one side, tons of people walking on the other. You can see the end of the alleyway and still gets murdered. The killer literally takes his mask off, walks away. That's New York, baby. It's good, isn't it? There's no rush. That's his. That's the scary thing as well. He just takes it off, takes his zipper off, puts it in the bag. There's no rush. Just casual. She's lying there. Just casual. Yeah. Done. It's no one so, will care. And then, oh. yeah, that brilliant, brilliant reveal. Something like you said, guys, that we've never seen in a screen movie before. Opening scene, the mask comes off and we straight away see who it is. What a cool, fun twist. Like straight away, I was like, holy shit, this is yeah. this is going to be really, really fun. Uh, a character called Jason. Of course, he's called Jason. <laughs> is the killer, right? And he is set up. He's played by Tony Revolori. And he is set up to be your classic screen killer that we've seen a million times before at this point, right? A teenage boy, a film fan. We follow him back to to his apartment his apartment is filled with posters of like so last many. podcast on the left it looks like my, one of my favourite podcasts I found very stop shooting in my study guys yeah, I know I was like oh right okay so this is me this is me this character um, your classic horror movie nerd he's a stab movie obsessive he's you know. a giallo obsessive got a Dario Argento movie t-shirt <laughs> yeah the ultimate horror bro and he basically reveals his whole plan in this sequence right where he phones his friend the, him and his friend have got this whole plan where they're going to go on a killing spree ghost face style mirror the stab movies they're going to come after tara 
it's amazing. It's like a final act of a previous screen film that is the opening act, right? And then, of course, he's killed by this very different ghost face, the dirty masked ghost face, right? Such a cool opening scene. Oh, my God, I loved it. Because it, it is... <laughs> We'll talk about kind of how this film talks about film culture in general, but this really feels like two ghost faces. One of the one of them was basically a bigger ghost face fan than the other one. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is this is your daddy's horror film. This is not this like weird broish stuff that you're into, like a kid. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, but this comes back to another prediction that we all made, which was that maybe this killer won't care so much about the movies and actually his last line right he says who gives a fuck about the movies or something before that final stab as he kills Jason so already you know okay this is not going to be just a teenage movie nerd this is going to be something else that script Mm. I found really interesting because it was all very scream it's like Mm -hmm. we're going to basically we're going to describe the plot to each other here for what's actually happening but it never ever felt like that it's got that amazing heightened writing which they've just now nailed in terms of style of it feels very scream it's doing something different but you know where you are at all times Mm -hmm. and it it somehow manages to magically elevate that and it's the script all the way through and I think it's what we properly loved about Scream 5 but this does it it just cranks it up again going this is what you expect this is more of what you expect wicked talking characters yes but you know where you exactly where you are and how different it is and technically at this point by the end of the opening scene we have already met three killers right so we've met Jason And we've sort of met his friend Greg, who is in the fridge. And then we've met the other ghost face killer who murders them both. So, I mean, you could argue as to whether or not Greg is technically a killer because we don't know that he's actually murdered anyone before he's killed. But we've already met two, potentially three killers in the opening scene before the title so card. actually this is the biggest prediction that i think we got very right that this scream is about the killers it's not so much about the victims mm-hmm. and also yeah. we technically we did see all three of them just one of them was in a fridge <laughs> that's true that's true one of them was in a fridge exactly um louise predicted there would be three killers i predicted there would be four killers i said legion anna said legion technically also correct i was gonna say you win the bet you <laughs> Yeah, in some ways we're all kind of right, I think, yeah. aren't we? Because well, we'll get to it when we talk about the final killer reveal at the end. But well, you... technically, there was five killers. Yeah, yeah, I guess there is. Although, <laughs> yeah. although, what's his name in the fridge didn't get to kill anyone. That's true. He, yeah, that's so right. Or maybe c- he killed someone. So we're sort screen. of all right in a way because <laughs> there's three killers revealed at the end, which you could tick Louise for. There's four killers that you actually see kill people, which yeah. I predicted. And there is sort of a legion of killers because yeah. there's more than that, you know. Everyone's so a ghost face. I, I think we all get a point for that <laughs> prediction. And it's nice as well when there's that many killers because no one's obsessing about who's killing who. Yeah. Because there was always that thing where you were like, well, if there's that many... They're more collaborative. That, uh, that's there, who's there, uh, that person's there and suddenly... <laughs> Although I am looking forward to going back and watching it again and trying to work yes, out of in course. my head mm-hmm. who's, Absolutely. who's in the mm-hmm. costume when, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the biggest predictions that Louise made was that there was going to be some amount of spatula kills. So So you just want to refresh on what a spatula kill is? So a spatula kill is when there is someone that you think is dead, but the ambulance with their magical power of healing blankets and spatulas (laughs) manages to remove that person from the ground somehow alive. Scrape them up. (laughs) And scoop them into an ambulance. I would just, there was far too many almost spatula kills here. We, We had people who should be dead. Do you know what, actually? We all predicted that this movie would have a mammoth body count. It actually didn't, right? Yeah. But at first glance, before they scooped them up, it 
it, it really did. did. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and also, I think in this, if you got, it turns out now the rules of Scream are if you get hit in the body, you're fair game for survival. It's only if you get hit in the head. And boy, does this have a thing for heads. <laughs> if, you get, if, if you get stabbed in the head, that's the only way. It's, yeah. it's a, we're now at zombie rules. Yes. You have to be stabbed in the head. <laughs> yes. There's even a moment in the film where Chad, I think it's Chad who just yells, beheadings. Yes. Yeah. We're ex- that, that's where the bar is. Like, we're, yep. we expect beheadings now. Yep, that's where we are. But yes, the, the, sp- <laughs> the old spatula <laughs> had, yes. much, had a lot of use for, yes, for this movie. because we had Chad and Mindy both have these big moments where they were stabbed multiple times, but yep. both yes. didn't die. Gail got her big set piece where it looked like she was dead, didn't die. Because yes. I thought right. Anna was about to get her... You I was to get so your happy. Prediction. Your, it was I that's spot it. on. Uh-huh. And then she just like, oh, there's a weak heartbeat. I was like, no, no, don't no, do it. Die, don't. Gina, love Gail, but like, no, this is your moment to die peacefully. Yes, yes. We'll great talk, final line. I will talk about Gail's set piece as well. But yeah, like, so it's interesting that actually they still they've still kept all of these main characters alive. Obviously, Sam and Tara both survive as well. So all of our core group, our core four plus Gail plus uh, Kirby all still alive at yep. the end yeah. of the movie mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting so I guess there's potential there to bring them all back for a Scream 7 if that happens oh I'm sure that will yeah, happen yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so shall we talk a little bit more in depth about the core four yes mm. yes so how has their relationship changed because Tara has gone to university in New York Sam has followed her but there's sort of they live together but there's sort of there's tension there and then there's a potential romantic subplot between Chad and Tara and Mindy well Mindy's just being Mindy really yeah. I think it was I, I think I felt that as you were saying in the pre-spoilers I felt really at home with them and I really enjoyed seeing the fact they were all living together and I think the party scene did a really good job of showing the dynamics between them so they just gradually started appearing Yeah. Um, and it was clearly all about looking after Tara who's like I don't need looked after but I thought that was a really good way of hitting the dynamic of they're all here they're all somewhat they're all in variations of themes of trauma really Yeah. Um, but they're all still together and the fact that they're living in together and even the calling themselves of the core four, I was like, oh no, now you've named yourselves. I don't want you to die now you've named yourselves. I think that was what surprised me. I think when we were making predictions of who lives, who dies, I sort of thought to myself, yeah, both of the twins will die. Yeah. I'm not really that fussed if they do. Actually, I found myself caring if they lived or died exactly. when I watched this again because I think this film did a better job of building up these characters into being really well-rounded human beings that I cared about. I think Jasmine Savoy Brown is so good. Like Her facial experience expressions are really funny she gets some great moments obviously chad is just this very like warm nice character as well he's just like a nice boy isn't he Mm. basically and there's that sort of uh yeah that potential relationship blooming with tara and then you've got tara and sam this kind of sister dynamic which is in itself is interesting in this film i think that sam has become this kind of paranoid maniac with a taser (laughs) and is kind of following tara around sam gets kind of blamed for the events of Scream 5, which I find quite interesting. Like, she's essentially being, quote-unquote, cancelled online because yeah. people think she's a she's a murderer. But Tara seems to have escaped a lot of this. So she she's not the face of the Woodsboro Massacre in the same way that Sam was. So she's kind of hiding underneath that and trying to run away from that and not really deal with it, whether Sam is much more actively trying to deal with it through therapy and cannot really escape people associating her with, with that. So there's a tension there. And like with the twins, I will say the only 
It seems slightly savage to be rooting for a character, even a fictional one, to die at the end of a movie. But I did feel like the only the only kind of thing that I regretted was that Chad didn't die at the end because I think that would have given Mindy such a like a good thorny meaty like amount of grief and something to deal with Mm. in the next movie should there be one because then that would really grow her character a bit more like she's a twin who's lost her twin and her girlfriend yeah yeah it would have been like Dewey losing Tatum right it's like that similar dynamic yes I agree and also he was stabbed so many times I'm like really he's absolutely fine he's just on a stretcher chatting at the end (laughs) and it's like yeah I don't know about that but like you said Louise it's like zombie rules now at this point Mm. yeah I say I thought it was really interesting that I always think when you get to the end of a horror movie, regardless of whether it's Scream or other slasher movies, I've always thought, who is it? I mean, who? Do, what do the police do? I mean, what is the paperwork like? For Well, <laughs> then I killed him and then I ran over here and then I just stopped him from doing this. But actually it was him and he's been pretending this all the way along. And you always think, well, how do the police work out actually who was the killer because they weren't there for the monologue so I thought that was particularly interesting for Scream for the end of Scream 5 that of course the internet reacted in that way because the internet doesn't know they don't have any of it all they have is one person's account and of course as we know about the internet and what it does. So I loved seeing all the fan art mm. and her Twitter feed and her Instagram feed and just the idea of like how people would react and yes. filming it and all the rest of it. So I felt like that was actually a really effortless insertion of another, as you said, the tech will be the bigger focus. Tech and social media was the big focus here of that's exactly, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's what we're that's what we're faced with. It's true. That's the one thing that we didn't predict that the one kind of big topic that this movie does sort of cover is quote unquote cancel culture. I suppose, Mm -hmm. right? That's something that Scream 5 didn't really touch upon that has been such a big deal over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And this idea that somebody can start some rumour about somebody on the internet and it became this thing where Sam is getting attacked in the street and people are filming it and it's going viral. Um, All of that was kind of interesting and I liked this kind of tease of Sam is Sam actually a bit of a psychopath as well? And like her talking to her therapist about how she quite enjoyed stabbing Richie to Mm -hmm. death. I, and of course, Ghost Billy Loomis comes back a couple of times as well. Like I kind of like not this. that much though, which is which is refreshing. Yes, yes, but we didn't know he was going to be in it at all, yeah. did we? So it was, it was kind of funny to see him pop back up again. But yeah, what did you think of that? Of Sam's potential kind of they're still keeping that thing going. Of is she going to be a, a killer at some point? They're keeping that going, and I think it's um, you know, if you if you get real down and serious about it, like people can be high functioning psychopaths. Like if they are diagnosed as psychopaths it does not automatically mean you're a serial killer mm. like that is your destiny it just means that their brain is wired in a in a different way and Sam actually doesn't really you know exhibit those um, those patterns it's sort of movie psychopath where it's like well because your dad was the serial killer the daddy you never met you must be one too so maybe she is prone to violence but violence can also just be in self-defense and there's a very dramatic moment towards the end where she's sort of she's holding Billy's um, she's holding Billy's knife and she lets it go she wa- literally walks away from the killing life because that's not really who she is. She All the violence that she enacts is always in a protective measure. It's never actually to hurt anyone. Mm. Yep, mm-hmm. she's more likely to become a CEO because they're all psychopaths yep. <laughs> than actually a killer. But yeah, I like that as well. I like the fact that it and if it ever goes back on that, I would think less of them. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I think. I think that's the thing. I think it's a fun little subplot, but I don't know if I actually believe that Sam 
is a psychopath or would kill anyone. Like, I th- it, as much as it keeps teasing that, I don't actually believe that that's what she'll become at some point. Yeah, I think killer. it's a self, more of a self thing of uh, the, the the daughter will father the father. It's more mm-hmm. of an internalised trauma for her of, I, I never want to be that. I never want to be that. So then that automatically rises up and she's being surrounded by it, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> as is the case with the franchise. So I think that's the, that's the eternal... Pull, push and pull. Speaking of franchise, well, quite Anna, well. Anna was Anna. Right. You nailed it when you you made the prediction that this movie, this movie's thing that it would tackle is the franchise. What, what word did you use? Franchi- the franchification. The franchification. The franchification. <laughs> and of course, we get the usual scene where Mindy explains to her friends what movie they're in. She's like, "We've done the sequel. We've done the requel. Now it's all about the franchise." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Anna <laughs> yeah. got it spot on. <laughs> so I was like, "This is the end." Um, This idea that now the IP is bigger than them and so it's going to keep going and anybody can live or die. Main characters are interchangeable. The characters don't matter. The new ones don't matter. The legacy ones don't matter. The only thing that matters is the IP. And that's how the, well, the whole landscape of entertainment has really changed over the last couple of years. And Mindy, you know, as the designated Randy character, mm-hmm. nails it. And she she is talking about the Scream franchise as well, which again is the thing that I really hoped would manifest itself kind of through more kills, is that, well, if IP is the only thing that matters, then none of these characters who are so beloved now or who you feel so at home with, they can all go. And that is the danger zone for, for Scream 6, is that, well... The only thing that matters is the ghost face mask and the ghost face uh, trademark. Everyone can go. If you can put it on socks, that's it. She (laughs) says, wearing ghost face socks. (laughs) It's good, right? I think it's a fun idea. And again, it, it... it didn't necessarily follow through with it because all of our core characters survive. But also that's something that Scream has always had fun with. You know, how many times in the Scream franchise have Randy or Mindy gone, anyone can die this time? And a lot of the time they don't, you know. But I guess it gives you that sense of peril that we do think, oh my God, is Gail about to die? Is Mindy about to die? And I definitely felt that all the way mm. through this movie, you know. That's all we need then. Yeah. yeah. Almost. We, we need always, a sense of peril. Uh-huh, that We don't need actual proof of it by the <laughs> end we're actually just quietly relieved but as long as the whole time we've got the oh no because then it feels cheap sometimes if they did it and that's how I felt about Avengers when they killed obviously half the population and there were people <laughs> in the cinema crying and I'm going they're going to come back it's a franchise yes. <laughs> they're literally <laughs> shooting another three movies and you don't have that so you yeah. always have that sense of oh yes and because they killed Dewey in the last one I think that so, was a good move because yeah. you do go okay they they are going to do this you know yeah. but you guys also nailed it the both of you when you talked about the true crime focus of this one the obsession with the killers mm. and that is presented to us from the very first scene when Ghostface says who gives a fuck about movies so how do you think they they there's not a big monologue about it but the motivation of the killers which we'll discuss a, a little bit later on and even from that very first scene what do you make of the focus on the ghost face killers the people behind the mask I mean, I loved it. I love this idea that so with each killing, the killer would leave a ghost face mask. And that ghost face mask was literally a ghost face mask worn by different killers. It has their DNA on it. And we're going backwards in time, right? So mm. the first kills, we see a Richie mask. Then it's a, what, Jill mask. Mm. Then it's Roman Bridger. Then it's Mrs. Loomis or, or uh, Mickey. And eventually we're working our way back to the beginning to... <gasps> Is it going to be Stu or Billy Loomis? You know, and and it's really teasing that throughout the whole film as to you know, is this in some way going to lead us back to the beginning for the final sequence? Um, I loved it. I loved Kirby's big board of 
all of our previous killers. Mm-hmm. I loved our evidence boxes full of like stuff that the killers owned and wore. I thought, well, that was really fun, right? That's exactly, it was that, this is a movie that's in love with, not the stab movies, the scream movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just in love with itself, totally. Yes. And it, it glories in it. It makes a museum out of itself. And that's for us, is we don't need necessarily everything to be explained to us. We see the camera that, you know, Gil's cameraman had. We see the, the TV. All of these things are props for us. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's about true crime. Yes, it's about true crime in that world. But for us, we realise that we are the true crime obsessives in yes. this world. We're the ones that know everything because that's why, I mean, they've been very clever in the fact that sometimes they went around and sort of touched stuff and said this is this and that's that. But other times we would just see it and know it. You know, we saw mm-hmm. all of Gail Weathers' books. We saw all of these things. Tatum's outfit in which they gets killed. Like <gasps> there's things that aren't even pointed out or aren't included in close up that we instantly recognise yep. as screen Top fans. story jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's just, it's so talking directly to the fandom. You know, mm-hmm. there's the moment when they see the TV that killed Stu and then and then Mindy goes well if you believe he's dead and it's like they so know what they're doing they are playing with us constantly in these movies it's, it's like a dialogue between the film and the fans every, every with every entry you know before we go into the, the serial killer layers can we just address the pickle in the room <laughs> still no stew still, still no jar, stew Anna. he's still in my the jar my biggest disappointment <laughs> The way my heart leapt out of my chest when Mindy said, if you believe he's dead. Yeah. When we go down to that layer, the the expectation I had. Oh, Anna. I know. I've never been so toyed with by a franchise. It's so funny. I mean, this is the thing. We it's all deliberate, right? This this teasing. They know, you know, the the um, subway map that we talked about before, and, and the marketing, and how Stu's station was a different color. The mentions of Stu in Scream Five, the if he's even still alive line in Scream Six. They're just teasing us because still no sign of Stu. This at this point onwards, you know, he's he's probably dead. He's probably never coming back. But the franchise loves having fun with us in that way. My hope lives on for Scream 7 or Scream 8. (laughs) Yep. Maybe for Scream 10. Sure. We're here for the whole franchise. Maybe for the spinoff series starring (laughs) Kirby. You know, like, sure. Should we talk about Kirby in more depth? Yes. What did you guys think of her? So she is a cop as we as She's we an FBI agent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved it. I loved all of that. I think when we'll be talking about her favourite moments later and one of them is my her interactions with Gail are one of my, they're just my favourite things. Because every moment where she was on screen, I was just so happy that she mm-hmm. was there. Because again, it's one of those, you didn't, I didn't realise she was missing in Scream 5 until suddenly she was in Scream 6. Well, of course she's meant to be here. It just, it added a confidence to it and she's a great character. And it's also, you know, we never really get to see the nerd grow up. Randy yeah. gets killed in Scream 2. Um, well, Mindy's still in young. Uni. Yep. Mindy's, you know, just in university now. We only really met her in high school. The film buff nerd slash ghostface killers from Scream 4, also high school nerds. So we never really get one of these horror buffs, like, grow up and mm. be a part of society. So actually seeing Kirby, you know, in that wonderful, one of my personal favorite moments is when she's having that uh, horror off scene <laughs> yeah. with Mindy. You know, she's still into this stuff. She's still keeping up to date. She's also kind of made crime into her career, in a sense, you know, as an FBI agent. So she's channeled all of that into something positive and she's still just as fun and just as nerdy as she was when she was a teenager did you guys ever think that she might be the killer because you know the the film kind of 
as it does with everyone, but it kind of puts a bit of suspicion on her at various points throughout the movie, right? Dermot Mulroney's character, we'll discuss him later, obviously, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of moments when he is suspicious of her or planting suspicion on her, right? Did you guys ever think that might be the case? So weirdly, I never suspected her. Yeah. I had a little moment, especially when he started trying to, uh, you know, raise suspicion about her. I suspected him more than I did her. Same. And I can't really put my finger on why I never really suspected her. I think perhaps because, I guess, just an allegiance to her as a survivor of Woodsboro. But I never really thought that she could be the one behind the mask, to be honest. Same, to be honest. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just that love of Kirby as a character, but I just never believed her. I never believed her even in this movie to be a killer. I don't mm. know. It's that justification. There is that moralistic justification throughout the series that she just, again, doesn't seem to have. I, I would have felt, even we saw that sort of lingering shot of her locking a door, and I was like, <laughs> I still don't believe you. <laughs> I know you're meant to be making it menacing. You're not menacing. You're the good. <laughs> you're the force for good. And we know the mechanics now of Scream and yep. the way in which they plant suspicions on people. And yes, as soon as it gets to that final act and she locks them in that theatre space... And Dermot Mulroney calls and says she was never part of the FBI or she was let go a few months ago. I was like, no. Yeah, we both yeah. laughed. We both laughed. And he like, does mm. the crazy woman thing. It's like she's mentally unstable. She was let go from the FBI three months ago. It's yeah. like, oh, were you using that line? You're the suspect. Yeah, yeah. that was when yeah. I knew it was him. But, yeah. but you know, it's still really fun, and I think they have a lot of fun with Kirby, like making her bring back the Kirby that we know and love, but also just leaving a few question marks over her as well, right? Which is quite a nice thing to do. And Shall we talk about Richie's lair? Because we discovered towards the end that actually this theater space that has become a shrine to Ghostface and all the Ghostface killers, the Scream movies as well, as you rightfully pointed out, is actually Richie's lair. Yeah, do you know what? I did not expect this movie to be as much about Richie. That, like I think you know, as old as old school fans, like we were legacy fans, mm-hmm. right? We were obsessed with the notion that it was going to connect to Stu or to Billy or to somebody like that, right? It hadn't even crossed my mind that this would be in some Same. way connected yep. to Richie. <laughs> so yeah, that did take me by surprise. But I guess that's how you do. And I mean, if last year's Scream was lots of people's first Scream movie, which it was, and yeah. they'll have gone back, and it has to be cohesive, mm-hmm. this was a natural sequel to last year's sequel. <laughs> in that way yeah. it flowed perfectly yeah. so actually that makes complete sense but not to us because we're obsessed with pickles but <laughs> it does it, it does make full sense you know and it, again it's following those scream reels scream reels scream reels <laughs> uh, that it's always about something in the past mm-hmm. and Richie is in the past that's what it leads to yeah and of course this movie does and we sort of predicted this a little bit this movie sort of mirrors Scream 2 if the last one mirrors Scream 1 this one has a few comparisons I think to Scream 2 and we should talk about some of the scariest set pieces as we go later but but that idea that actually the killer is just a family member taking revenge that is Mrs. Loomis all over again isn't Mm -hmm. it it's slightly bigger (laughs) this time around it takes place in a theatre in the same way as Scream 2 it takes place in a theatre exactly and it is just pretty simple they don't they don't really care about the movies it's just good old-fashioned revenge basically mm-hmm. the the movie aspect and the ghost face aspect is actually all a ploy to uh, frame sam isn't it but it's not what they care about as a as a as a group of killers this time around so yeah i thought that was all kind of fun and it was nice that it boiled down to a simple revenge from richie's family kind of thing so what do we make about richie's family the three, the three killers. Three killers. Of whom I predicted two. 
You did. You predicted father and daughter. Yeah. Yes. Which actually scuppered my chances going in of actually not suspecting even <laughs> when that corpse right. came flying out of that room. I was like, hmm. Did you feel mm. a smug sense of satisfaction when yes. it was revealed? Yes, but also a slight sense of disappointment, which I think, as you're saying, if people are stopping listening to our predictions so that they don't think too much when they're mm-hmm. watching, that was exactly what happened. I was like, see, if I hadn't thought, I think I would have been more surprised. <laughs> I still, I loved that reveal. I loved the idea of it that being the three of them because again we've the the we've seen this relentless ghost face who has felt to be everywhere yes. almost omnipresent yeah. ghost yeah. face who has been constantly in pursuit and that can actually only come from multiples even when you think you've got one person in one room and one another so i actually i thought the reveal of three killers was great and he was having a whale of a time being a Dermot yeah absolutely hamming it up in the most beautiful way he, he was, was the standout so good. he was the absolute standout so we should say so it turns out to be Detective Bailey played by Dermot Mulroney and then his two children Ethan played by Jack Champion who is this kind of nerd classic kind of quiet shy nerd mm-hmm. who they actually do basically suspect throughout the whole yeah. film it's, it's like a running joke right that particularly the twins Chad Mindy, and Mindy yeah. they literally call him Ghostface throughout yeah. the film they're like you are clearly the killer like the weird little quiet nerdy kid so he's almost hiding in plain sight that one the point where you almost write him off because Mm -hmm. they keep thinking it's Ghostface and then his sister uh, Detective Bailey's daughter Quinn Bailey who is Sam's flatmate right in the city we don't really find out much about her except that she's just she's just her fun flatmate who is basically very as she says very sex positive very sex positive which as we know is a recipe to get killed very quickly in a scream (laughs) exactly and she is she's offed pretty quickly but of course off screen which is always a big red flag right that she is there's a scene that almost reminded me of Urban Legend weirdly from 1998 where they think they're overhearing her having sex actually it turns out to be her being attacked quote unquote attacked and killed but by the time they break into the bedroom to help her she's already lying there dead and I was like hmm that's strange we didn't see her die and of course yes so it turns out to be this family of father and two kids who are all related to Richie that are taking revenge and trying to frame Sam basically um, yeah, I loved them. I thought for me, Dermot Moroni was the standout. The other two, they were fine. I did really like, uh, so Liana Liberato, who plays Quinn, does have this sort of unhinged, you know, Manson family follower yes. type of look on her face yes, that Amber does. has in Scream 5. And I quite like that kind of as a, as a trope, you know, a young woman who will just do whatever it takes to get this mission accomplished to to kill these people. I quite like that. I thought she, she got away with that. And she had that high sort of high camp horror thing of the fact that she was spitting out her teeth. <laughs> Which obviously I hate horror with teeth and but it's because she'd been hit with a brick around the face. But I love just this idea of her just spitting them out and coming across that balcony and saying, like, Oh, I like you. Yeah. 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 I mean and also this is the first screen movie to actually show two killers wearing the ghost face mask together you never see two people as full-blown ghost face and there was something quite cool and eerie when the two ghost faces are stabbing chad that's it it's why Mm -hmm. chad should have died yeah because that was a that would have been a kill and then the reveal of detective bailey as our first killer and then he had a ghost face on either side of him he's like two ghost face minions um almost you know kind of gave you know we talked a lot about that kind of the cult of ghost face idea and it almost looked a bit like Mm -hmm. a cult at that moment didn't it and i I quite liked all of that imagery in the last act that we hadn't seen before yeah 
Absolutely. So should we talk about the final scene, the final confrontation, once we actually know the reveal? Mm. It doesn't end there. There's so much more stabbing going on. So much, so much stabbing. That's why 4DX is going to be <laughs> an issue for me. There's so much stabbing. It's great, isn't it? It's fun. It's our classic. It's everything I wanted from a final act of Scream. The killer reveals, they go mad, they, you know, they become truly unhinged. It's stabby, stabby, stab, running around, falling off high platforms and God knows what else is going on. You know, it's it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. I think we also, I think, again, that's what happens. The problem when you analyse a trailer so hard is early on, we were talking about the subway scene where we thought Mindy mm-hmm. died. But actually, that was two separate trains, which was a very, yes. very clever trailer edit. Very clever. Um, if you think about it being, because yeah. we, we thought that was all one thing. We're like, yes. this doesn't happen like it does in the trailer. Oh, wait, we're idiots. Yes. The play does. Yeah. And I think we were waiting for, again, falling off the balcony thing, which I think none of us could have calculated the fact that we were looking at Tara with a smirk and we're thinking, is Tara villainous? But actually, she's jumping down with the knife to mm-hmm. kill him at her feet, which I loved all of that. It felt like the kind of waves of deserved catharsis sort mm. of as taking revenge on the various ghost faces. We needed that, mm-hmm. I think. And I think it's easier when you have one or two. And then when you have three, that is just upped even further. But it manages to deliver it very gorily. And all during this is happening, we're seeing a third version of Scream, which is Richie's homemade version from when he was a kid, yes. like a kind of kid home movie version of Stab or Scream playing on a big giant projected screen throughout the whole thing. Well, I mean, which that's I sort a of red loved. flag for any child. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love the fact that it was also contained in this one location, which is also a classic Scream thing. But instead of a house, it's a, it's a space that none of them really know that well because it's Richie's spot. And they've locked themselves into it. Exactly. Yeah, so nobody can possibly come in and help them. And everybody who is inside there is either dead or we believe to be dead at this point or trying to kill them and the camaraderie that develops between Sam and Tara at this point where they go kind of full hog and go to stab back it's not just defending themselves they're actually attacking the Ghostface family yeah it's great, isn't it? It's so satisfying. It's it is co- satisfying. It's it's a it's a movie theatre this time round as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Rather than like a because th- in Scream Two, it was like a it all played out almost like a Greek tragedy yeah. play, right? With the mother taking revenge on the son. This one, it's like an old abandoned movie theatre because there's a moment when they're in the box office hanging out and everything as well, right? But it's just it's a really cool setting. I loved all of that. It was great. So. Shall we talk about some of the set pieces? You know, I yes. mentioned earlier that New York City gives them the opportunity to create bigger Mm. killing set pieces what were some of your favorite ones the ladder yeah the ladder oh my gosh the ladder so that for me is the first scene since the car in scream 2 where i felt genuine sustained tension in a screen Mm. film and i really appreciated that like an actual edge of your seat nasty sequence it was great I think it was the. I think it's the simplicity of that yeah. understanding that it it doesn't have to do grand, grand, grand set pieces. It's like, well, how do you get out of a New York apartment? Mm-hmm. Oh, you just put this ladder across, and just the desperation of having it layered up with Ghostface trying to get through a door, a chest of drawers in front of the door. It's mm-hmm. just effortlessly orchestrated for pure tension, and it has a horrific release of poor Mindy's other half. And we even just proving the brutality of this scream. We see the moment her head hits the dumpster oh, on God, the way down, yeah. and we <laughs> and, see a shot oh, of her as well yes. absolutely oh. destroyed by that fall yeah no spatula is going to save her <laughs> no she was spatula proof at that oh. point yeah it was it was great I really liked it you knew that obviously someone was going to die and I did think to myself I was like the two really maimed girls 
were left at the, like, were left till last to crawl across the ladder. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think, I think they should have sent them across first, to be honest. But well, anyway. Mindy did try. Yeah. Mindy did try. And I did think that her girlfriend was going to do the sacrificial thing of, I'm not even going to try, I'm going to push the ladder away and you guys save yourselves mm. and I'll distract him or whatever. Uh, but she did try, bless her. It was good. It was good. I, you know, again, it's just that added brutality that the screen movies have, which I appreciate, which is just like genuine fear from that girlfriend where she's going, I don't want to die. Please don't yes. let me die. I don't want to die. And again, it's like those little touches are what make the screen movies that much more scary and threatening, I think. The other scene that I absolutely, that I did feel myself genuinely be tense around was the subway scene. Yes. Maybe because at any given point, I really was expecting Ethan to be shown to be villainous. And of course he is, but he's, you know, just playing a deer in headlines. So the whole thing while Mindy's being chased, even the point when she misses the the train where everyone else is on i'm like oh no Mm. oh no Mm -hmm. there's two chances for attack here yeah totally i really like that scene too because again like we talked about at the beginning there's something quite chilling about being on a busy subway train and nobody noticing nobody saving her she's just there being stabbed against the door and everyone is just standing there like nothing's happening like that's a really scary thing something that you could almost believe happening as well right it's great they were doing a lot of there was a lot of i mean if we're talking about the physicality of it as well there was a lot of knife turning Mm, mm -hmm. there's a lot of it was a the brutality that we were talking about is because we see people being stabbed but it's almost not enough for this ghost face there's like turning the poor girlfriend was properly like all the way up it was properly agonising and I think it's those added elements because Mm -hmm. we now care so much about Mindy Mm -hmm. and we don't want to see that what we've just seen happen to her again the peril is racked up because the brutality is nastier and we don't want to watch them get stabbed we certainly don't want to watch them suffer and i think it's that added suffering that's really you're talking about the, the added bit of don't want to die oh no yeah do this it's, oh. and it's, it's, it's a good it's a sustained moment of tension with all of the different ghost faces she's looking at different people suspiciously people are bumping into her like they really let that simmer that scene don't they before the eventual the lights going out coming back on going out coming back on and as he gets closer to her it's a really well executed little set piece i think yeah absolutely i also love the scene and again this was sort of given away in the trailer but i do love that sequence when they go into the little corner store and the ghost face has a shotgun that's again like a good sustained moment of tension and again misled us because we thought that this was you know a different brand of ghost face who was going to be using guns for the first time and actually no it's just a coincidence it's Mm. a thing in the in the spur of the moment Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it was even more tense than the trailer I found it genuinely properly tense. All the crunching glass that they yes. were crawling over and stuff. It was, and I think the sound of even the sound of a gun. There, you're going. Oh, you actually are you actually going to shoot them with a? Would that be what? Would that be how Ghostface would take them out? Like that wouldn't be. Mm. It just again, it felt like a, a a rule change, but only in that moment, nice and enclosed. And then those little other moments, right when the therapist is killed by being stabbed <laughs> in the face through his like front door window. Oh, that's phenomenal! <laughs> yeah. It was great. I loved it. Who gets stabbed in the mouth? Is it the therapist? No, No. the therapist was in the eye and then it was the ghost face. Uh, It was was Ethan. Ethan gets stabbed in the mouth. I love that. That was so, so good. good. Tara was... is vicious. Yeah. Oh, I love. Nobody gives Sam a lot of shit, but Tara is absolutely demonically vicious in this film. I know. I loved it. Their little smile the two sisters have as well as they're killing these killers. Yes. It's great. Really, really fun. Very um, conspiratorial. But maybe we should talk about Gail Weathers' set piece, um, and also just Gail Weathers generally, right? Because we talked all about how 
in Scream 5, Gail got her redemption and she said, I'm not going to write a book about this. Um, this was something we didn't predict and I don't know why we didn't predict it, but she'd done a complete 180. She had written a book about what happened last year. She's living on the Upper East Side with a hot new boyfriend who serves her tea. We never get to meet him though. Doesn't even get a name. Nope. No. But, because, but it's all about the True Crime Limited series now and yeah. I love that. It's just, and it was this perfect, that perfect mirroring mm-hmm. of Scream. The punching. The punching, all of yeah. that. Like the music, because at that moment, Trouble in Woodsboro was playing. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, the press I got lit to uh-huh, And it was suddenly like, we're back. This is where we're back. Of course, we're going to see Gail Weathers here. And it was just a joyous, triumphant return of her in lurid colours. Shall we say <laughs> lurid colours? Always in such great lurid outfits. I love it. And yeah, I love the. I mean, it's very silly and it's very deliberate nostalgia, but the mm. punch, the dodge, and then the second punch from Tara. It was a nice little touch. I enjoyed it. I do think that maybe she flips a bit too quickly like she's set up as I'm back as like badass bitch Gale and then about one scene later she's like no yeah. no no I'm with you guys it's fine and they, they did they got to that very quickly almost yeah. didn't they I could have almost done with her being mean Gale for a bit longer in this yeah. film you know? I think she's always deep down mean Gale yeah. even when she's being attacked by Ghostface she, she's mean to Ghostface <laughs> oh my god my favourite moment is when she puts him on hold she goes did you hold? and you hear Ghostface go huh? uh-huh. <laughs> it's so good I howled at that moment in the screen I thought it was but so good the moment where you know that she's talking seriously mm-hmm. is when Dewey's theme's playing in the background. Oh, yeah. And then you realise that, the, oh, no, that's Dewey's music. Nope, not going to cry. Yep, definitely crying. Definitely <laughs> you know crying. What, you know what we don't get to explore in Scream 6? Is the dynamic between Gail having the picture of her and Dewey by her bedside. Bet. I bet she shares with another man. I know. I, 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 I want to hear that conversation. I actually spent like a minute thinking about that after. <laughs> Shot. And I thought, you know what? He wouldn't mind. He wouldn't mind. They have a history together. And she also doesn't mind where he gets killed. It's like, oh, whatever. I know, it's so good. <laughs> I know. She couldn't give a fuck. It's a great moment. And I really did think Gail oh, I was dead. Had I thought she was dead. And should she, have, should she have been dead? You know? I don't know. I personally think as much as I love Gail, that was her perfect exit. What does she has some final line, doesn't she, where she says, "Tell Sydney I he won." He didn't get me. He didn't get he me. He didn't get me. That that should have maybe been her last line. I bet there was decisions on that. Yes. I mean, that's why that will have happened. She'll have said a final line. Yeah. I, I feel like that could have been. That could definitely have been it. As much as I didn't want it to be it. Yeah. It felt. It right. made sense. Uh huh. The mm. idea there was a heartbeat was. Oh no. Mm. Also, come on, just like uh, in Scream Seven a shot of Sydney looking at the matching tombstones of Gail and Dewey. (laughs) Come on, it's a great start! Putting down a book. I won't let let go of the matching tombstones. So do you think, do you think, putting my conspiracy head on, do you think that she was going to die originally while Sydney was in the script? And then when Nev Campbell dropped out, they thought, we'd best have Gail survive because we still can have one legacy character continue on potentially and they reshot maybe a bit of she's got a pulse or something because I think they had to do a couple of reshoots late on right I wonder if that has something to do with it the fact that if Nev drops out we're going to keep Gail alive you might be right but I just to echo Midney uh, just to echo Mindy, the thing that matters is the IP. Yep. And they have returning legacy characters like Kirby now and a few others that they could bring up. Not many, but a few. So I I think that there might be something else yeah. in the plans for for Courtney, for Gail. But I do wish they had committed to that because that would that would have been an absolutely baller move. 
there is also the possibility that that could still be Gail's end. You know, she might not come back. But it's just that they chose not to kill her as mm. well, maybe. You know, because again, that, that last line of, you know, tell Sydney he didn't get me kind of does feel like an end point to Gail, doesn't it, in a way? So we'll see. Another person we haven't talked about at all is Danny, is Sam's secret boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> Cute boy hunky, from across the... Hunky Danny with yeah. the ladder as well. Did you guys ever suspect him? No, and you know what? I really liked uh, Sam's moment where she tells him to just not go with them. She's like, no, you know what? You're also a suspect. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. You weren't yep. there. And he's like, yeah, that makes yes. sense. Yeah. Take, yep, take care off. of yourself. I yeah. love that. I yeah. love that. A yeah. sense of a green flag. So sensible. Yeah. It was the most sensible, healthy mm-hmm. thing. I was like, well, it's definitely not him. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. She's made a good decision. She's made a wholesome decision and, with the guy across the hall. And he survives, right? Yeah, because yeah of he that. does. So he might be in the next film. And he even, even. gets law enforcement. Yeah. yeah. He does helpful things. Yeah. yeah. He's actually a really nice guy. Yeah. yeah. He, does a, he does a lot of life-saving and helping, actually. Five stars, no notes on Danny. <laughs> Danny's it's not a good always one. rewarded as Gil Weathers, you know. Her boyfriend gives her a cup of tea. It's not always rewarded, but hopefully in this it continues to be that he's a good human. Oh, there you go. I mean, is there anything else we've missed? Any other highlights? I think we could just keep waxing lyrical about (laughs) this for a long time. But I know. I mean, shout out as ever to Roger Jackson, who is the voice of Ghostface. You know, we get some good phone call moments as ever, right? Some good humour in that that bewildered, huh? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Is it time then for us to? do our last screamies for a while final screamies good Mm -hmm. shout I think it's time for the screamies and as a reminder for listeners of Hello Sydney the screamies are the quick fire round we do where we discuss some of our favourite moments in the movies Mm, yeah we give some awards out to, Mm to to some people and moments so the first screamy scariest moment of the film what do we think was the scariest moment I'm going to go for the one shot when they're crawling through the bodega and there's complete silence and he's hunting them, closely followed by the ladder sequence. But that was definitely top for me. I would say Mindy walking the ladder. Mindy specifically, because it's the it's the middle character that I was worried about the most. That's a good shout. Mine is a Mindy moment as well, but it's Mindy on the subway. That incredible sustained tension as the lights go out and come back on and go out and come back on and the killer gets closer and closer. It's a really well executed set piece. Uh, best kill? Ethan. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say Chad, but of course he's a, he's not a real kill. He's a spatula kill. So it would have been Chad if he had died. But I'm going to say with Ethan because that's, that was just vicious. It was vicious. In a different kind of way, I'm going to say Samara Weaving's character because it was such a, sh- not a shock that she died, but it was followed by the moment of Jason taking the mask off, which was something mm-hmm. we've literally never seen before. And that is one of my favourite moments in the whole film, I think. Yeah. Um, best cameo. Not many cameos in this. Not that many. It wasn't, yeah, I... Unless you count, you know, the fact that you see, you know, the TV that killed Stu or <laughs> the Debbie, best cameo that TV. Mrs. Loomis's suit. Or like, yeah, you all know. nine of the ghost faces. <laughs> yeah. You, I guess we could say best Easter egg but rather than best cameo because, I mean, other than unless, Skeet Ulrich, there weren't many cameos. Unless you count Samara Weaving as kind of a, yeah. a prolonged yeah. cameo. Okay. Yeah. Or uh, you could say, you know, the Babadook on the subway train, Hellraiser, Jason. Yeah. They're all in there. You few. could even say would the poster last, po- last podcast on the left a cameo yes. in the scream. Mm-hmm. Love that. Where was the Hello Sydney poster in that room? Well, That's what I want to know. If they were going to go truly meta, let's have Hello Sydney on somebody's wall for the next film, please. Scream seven, please. Yeah. And uh, 
um, screen branded spatula just in the background. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make that just a ghost based spatula, yeah. <laughs> and we don't have any other, you know, none of our core three legacy characters. We just have Gail. So, what was your favorite Gail moment? When she's uh, when she's saying to Kirby, "How old are you?" and Kirby's like, "I'm 30. and she's like, "You look like a zygote." <laughs> Which I think I once told that someone looked like a fetus, so I feel even more connected to Gail than ever before. Yeah, that is great, and I love Gail being the one that beat all of the detectives, the FBI, everyone to finding the lair as well. Because like, she's very good at her job. Because she's good at her fucking job, and she still is. She still remains like the best, most capable person in this. Yeah. Franchise, and I love that for her. Yeah, and you know, in in honor of the core four, mm. what was your favorite core four moment? I actually love them all getting into the ambulance together at the end because, as much as it did feel a bit of a cop out that both man um, that both Mindy and Chad survived, I thought it was funny because Mindy rocks up all <laughs> drugged up on morphine, yes, <laughs> and that was actually quite a funny moment that I enjoyed yeah. when she saw her brother in the stretcher, but was just sort of like, oh, "I've taken so many drugs," yeah. you know, like it was it was good. And she got it, it wrong; sweet. she was so furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed the final act again. Like it was good. It was, uh, Chad's Min Savoy Brown, genuinely really funny actress, I think as well. Yeah. Mm my best I think do you know I love the, the really sweet moments where they're having a drink together and telling each other they're together as a group yeah. and I genuinely when they were reassuring Sam that they were with her because of her I thought that was like to, to put a sweet moment in there you know when someone's not having their eyeball impaled yeah let's be sweet and drink wine too. The, the dinner they have together at mm. Sam and Tara's apartment and they're just doing the little pinky swear thing of you know the core four which is such a nerdy <laughs> self-title anyway but still it was cute um, final question we don't know yet. Scream 7 hasn't been announced. If Do we think we're going to get a Scream 7? You know, if this is mirroring the original trilogy, it would mean that we'd get another part in the next year or two. And do, do you think that will happen? Do you want to see that happen? And what do you want to see happen in another Scream installment? I think it will definitely happen. Mm-hmm. And do you know what I think might happen in Scream 7? Influencers. Ooh. Yeah. True crime influencers. Be that through podcast, YouTube, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that might be something that they encounter. I think that's now that's what I want from Scream 7. <laughs> so yeah, I think there will definitely be a Scream 7. I mean, I feel like, and, and it's not a bad thing in the fact that we. I feel like we're in a bit of a hype engine for it. And I'm really mm. glad that the core of it, Scream 6, is excellent. And I genuinely think it's truly excellent. Um, and I think, you know, when you have all these bus ads, when you have, oh, sorry, a podcast like this one, and you have everything else people want this so badly and these guys are celebrating the franchise they love it they love that we love it and i can only you know i they definitely had six in mind when they were making five let's not fool ourselves and think they weren't thinking about seven mm-hmm. when they were making well, this they've like, literally said in the script don't they this is a franchise now we're going to keep getting new entries you know mm-hmm. so yeah i agree i think we will get another one and i trust these directors to do something good with it as well um i wouldn't be mad if they had another go at the whole Hollywood film set kind of angle, you know, or, you know, something slightly different, but maybe took on the stuff that I think were the ideas that were a bit half baked in Scream 3. I feel like maybe they could have another go at doing something along those lines. You know, if we graduated now to Hollywood again or a movie set in some way, I think there could be something quite fun that these guys could do, you know. And another possibility for the return of Sumatra. <laughs> Of course, and that, of and course. That. that is the only reason to make Scream 7. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The cult of Ghostface. 
run by pickled stew in a prison cell in a glass box. What if Stew has changed his name, got a little bit of work done, and now he's a movie studio mogul? Mo- mo- <gasps> he's a producer. Be, that would be good. Mm. That would be good. I mean, it'll never happen, but it would no. be good. Let's, let's not. <laughs> I can dream. Maybe we can just be surprised <laughs> if it ever comes back. Well, that's it for this episode of Hello, Sydney. We're done for now, but now that we're part of a franchise, guys, who knows when we might be back again? We're also expendable. We are. (laughs) Very much are. Legacy characters here. Um, So hopefully we'll be back again. But if not, or until then, where can people find you and more of your work out there online? Louise? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at shiny underscore demon. I have a monthly show on Radio 3 called Sound of Gaming, which is all about video game soundtracks and an interview with a composer. So give that a listen if you want to calm down after the brutality of Scream 6. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Anna Be Demented. You can also listen to me weekly on the Final Ghost podcast where I talk about horror movies. You can also find me and Mike talking about succession on the Successionistas. And you can pre-order my book, Unlikable Female Characters, anywhere where you can buy books. And you can find my podcast, The Evolution of Horror, which comes out weekly uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, come and check out Successionistas with me and Anna. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at the Movie Mike. So this has been it for the seventh episode of Hello Sydney. You can watch Scream 6 in cinemas now and you can also find Scream 5 on most digital platforms including Paramount Plus, Prime Video and Apple Plus. Hello Sydney is produced by Mike Munzer and Anna Bogatskaya for Paramount Pictures. The show is hosted by Louise Blaine, Anna Bogatskaya and Mike Munzer and it's edited by Mike Munzer. Mm-hmm.